Did Ernest Hemingway's brother found his own nation? The internet says it's true. Welcome back to The Internet Says It's True, where every week we learn something that sounds made up but is really true, part of the WCBE podcast experience. My name is Michael Kent, and this is episode 159. Welcome back for another new episode. I want to make a quick note, uh, real quick, about a story I did a couple weeks ago. When talking about the unsinkable stoker, Arthur John Priest, I completely failed to mention another person from history who had a similar path. Violet Jessup was a stewardess and nurse who worked for the White Star Line. She also survived the Britannic, the Olympic, and the Titanic. So she was on three of those same ships as Priest. They called her Miss Unsinkable. And my omission of her in my story was totally an oversight and no one called me out on this. I was just looking at the story again and came across Violet Jessup and I thought it was important that she was mentioned here. So with that said, I want to ask you also for your patronage. If you want to support this podcast, you can do that by becoming a member of the community at Patreon. We've got an awesome group of folks there who get to see stuff no one else gets to see. You can join at patreon.com slash Michael Kent and all this month, We've been doing a special patron drive, so if you've enjoyed those bonus episodes that I've been releasing midweek, please consider pledging, whether it's $1 or $5. Those funds help cover some of the costs associated with putting out a quality podcast every week. Between fees, equipment, time, and everything else, it's not cheap to do this show, so every bit helps. Again, you can join today at patreon.com slash Kent. Today's story is an interesting one about an eccentric brother of a very famous author. The Lost City of Atlantis. It's been the subject of countless works in print and film, and most likely completely fictional, invented by Plato in the 5th century in order to teach philosophy. According to him, the city existed 9,000 years before he was born. It was described as an island with all the world's pleasures you could imagine. To this day, many believe that it actually existed and sank into the sea, possibly somewhere near the Rock of Gibraltar. Other theories put the lost city in the Mediterranean, the Azores, or even under Antarctica. It was said to be built by Poseidon himself to protect his love with a mortal woman, Clato. Most experts agree that the island city and its many legends are completely fictional, but some people, like ocean explorer Robert Ballard, believe that the legend lines up with a massive ancient volcanic eruption that happened near Greece. If you want my opinion, There was never an Atlantis. It's fun to theorize about and imagine, but no modern technology has ever been able to find anything that fits the description. It's much more likely that Atlantis was just used by Plato when teaching philosophy and the concept of an ideal city. If Atlantis really existed, it would most likely be what's known as a micronation, a political entity that claims independent status and freedom from the rest of the world. And there are lots of examples of these. Sealand, or Sealand, a weird thing off the coast of the UK, is one that I intend on covering in a future episode. But the one we're talking about today got its name from Plato's mythical lost island of Atlantis. Lester Hemingway was born 16 years after his brother Ernest. He was the youngest of six siblings. While his older brother Ernest Hemingway went on to become one of the most famous novelists in the world and was awarded a Nobel Prize in Literature, his younger brother Lester was an author in his own right but never saw huge success or fame. He wrote six books, including titles like The Sound of the Trumpet, which was written using his own experiences in World War II. It wasn't incredibly well received. 
Lester also wrote a memoir about his brother Ernest, and he, he wanted the official stamp of approval from his famous sibling, but the two had become estranged, and he was denied. His memoir, My Brother Ernest, was published in 1962 after Ernest's death. It was well-received, and it was his most profitable work. Lester Hemingway looked a lot like Ernest and often tried to cash in on the tie with his brother, something that likely strained their relationship in Ernest's later years. The year after his memoir was published, Lester began a project that was his strangest, the founding of a nation, a new Atlantis. We'll talk about it after a quick break. On the Music Journeys podcast, artists reflect on their careers and the importance of music in their lives. Donna McGavro has been singing for decades in Columbus and still finds inspiration in crafting new songs. It keeps me centered. It's a spiritual path. I do not believe I'm the best, but I feel I have something to offer, too. I keep putting it out there. Keeps me young, Mike. Hear more from McGavro and other local and national artists on Music Journeys in the podcast experience at wcbe.org. If you love listening to this podcast every week and you want to show your support, that would mean a great deal to me. You can do that by becoming a Patreon member. We've got members at all levels, whether you want to pledge $1 a month or $10 a month. Just think about the value that you receive from this show. And if you like the histories and the stories that you learn about or the jokes that you hear, and if you think that they're worth it, consider signing up. For that, you get every episode ad-free and a week early, access to bonuses like the unedited videos of the guest appearances, and 20% off all merchandise. You can sign up today at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. That's patreon.com slash Michael Kent. There was a time that humans used 100% organic products as healing balms and moisturizers for their skin. Well, I've partnered with an awesome company that wants to get back to those times. Fatco sells organic and responsibly made tallow-based skincare products. For centuries, humans used tallow in skin moisturizers and healing balms, but Unfortunately, the topical application of these fats seemed to stop around the same time that animal fats stopped being considered part of a healthy diet. A lot of modern skincare products do more harm than good by stripping your skin of its natural oils. Let's change that. You can try them out now at fatco.com and get 15% off your order by using my promo code INTERNET. Go to theinternetsaysitstrue.com slash deals for the link. We're living through the most dynamic time in human history, and what we do as leaders matter. We are the ones that create the leverage to shift directions of our companies, our nonprofits, and our communities. As a leader or an emerging leader, please join me for a dynamic conversation with top thought leaders, academics, and executives to learn more about how to elevate your leadership. I'm Maureen Metcalf. Join us at the WCBE podcast experience at wcbe.org. The Guano Islands Act of 1856 was a United States federal law that was codified by Congress that allows citizens of the U.S. to take possession of unclaimed islands in the name of the U.S. if and only if those islands contain guano deposits. In other words, if they have large amounts of poop from bats or seabirds, they could be claimed. I know this seems super strange, but it turns out that guano was a pretty important resource for a time in history. The U.S. was importing something like 760 tons of the stuff by the 1850s. So the Guano Islands Act helped to secure and protect these resources, even giving the President of the United States the power to send in the military to intervene if needed. 
The U.S. gained control of around 94 islands using this act, 66 of which were eventually recognized as official U.S. territories. It's still a law, and there are, to this day, 10 U.S. territories that came about as a result of the Guano Islands Act, including some you may have heard of, like Midway Atoll and Johnston Atoll. Some of these claims have never been denied over the years, and some are still in dispute. For example, in 1997, Navassa Island was claimed under the act, and while it's still technically like this de facto U.S.-controlled island, Haiti has claimed the island as theirs. One of the strange parts of this is that a U.S. citizen could claim up to half of the island if an island were claimed. The other half would belong to the United States. And it was this act, the Guano Islands Act of 1856, that Lester Hemingway used to establish his private island, if you could call it that. It was 1964, and he had made a bit of money from publishing his memoirs about his older brother, Ernest. He had this crazy idea to establish an island. The idea first came to him as the plot of a potential novel. But why not create it for real? Did he find a piece of land somewhere that was uninhabited? No. He tied together a bunch of rafts. The entire area of those rafts was something like 8 feet wide by 30 feet long. And on July 4th of 1964, he sailed them out to an area six and a half miles off the southwest coast of Jamaica. There was a sandbar in the middle of the ocean. The surrounding ocean was around a thousand feet deep in that area, but the sandbar made it quite a bit shallower there, like 50 feet. So he took an old Ford car engine and tied it to a rope, tied the other end to his raft, and thus was anchored in place. So can something like this be considered an island? Well, let's look at examples of other islands. First of all, the idea of a floating island isn't something new or unique. There are floating islands on almost every continent. The Maldives is a floating island, but it's natural. What about man-made? Can an island be man-made? Well, Flovopolder in the Flevopolder, Flevopolder in the Netherlands. It's a man-made island, and it's the largest man-made island. It's even considered its own province in the Netherlands, but it's still made of earth and sand. Another example would be the new Doha Airport in Qatar, also known as the Hamad International Airport. It's a man-made floating island. So is the Hong Kong Airport. So what if Lester's Island was made of bamboo, steel, iron, piping, and rocks? In his eyes, it met the definition of an island. And I don't know how he did it, but he convinced other people to live on the raft island with him. And he called it, prophetically, New Atlantis. It helped that his two daughters and his wife were three of the six inhabitants. Lester made four, and the other two were Edward Moss, who was his public relations specialist, and his assistant, Julia Cellini. So New Atlantis had six permanent residents, and it even had its own flag, a dark blue flag with an upside-down gold triangle and a blue circle within. He claimed half of the island for the United States under the Guano Islands Act, and the other half for himself and his co-inhabitants and had lots of plans for this island. He planned on, over time, dropping rocks and sand into the ocean underneath him to eventually make the raft connected to the ground by more than the old makeshift car engine anchor. He also at one point mentioned that he wanted to sink a hull from a tanker ship to fill with sand. His long-term plan was for New Atlantis to be an oceanic research station. He even applied for funding from the U.S. for this research, but was denied. Hemingway financed this entire project with eighty dollars to $90,000 worth of book sales, but eventually that would run out, so his new plan was to sell stamps. He designed a stamp and had a batch of 200,000 stamps printed, which were eventually 
completely disregarded as inauthentic by the Universal Postal Union, they were worth nothing. One of these stamps was even mailed to the United States President Lyndon Johnson. When Johnson returned a letter referring to Hemingway as, quote, acting president, Hemingway then used that to further claim validity of this island. Jamaican press had taken note of the claim, and he received quite a bit of press coverage about New Atlantis, even back in the States. I found a newspaper clipping from the Tampa Tribune from September of 1964. The focus is on the first lady of New Atlantis, Doris Hemingway. In the article, she is quoted as saying, quote, The official activities are swim, fish, gaze, in whatever order one prefers, end quote. In the article, which seems to take the island nation very seriously, says, quote, New Atlantis is to be a republic in every sense of the word, once it gets bigger. When it grows, a hotel and restaurant are planned, end quote. Now, this thing is 8 feet by 30 feet. How's it going to have a... That's beside the point. The official currency, as deemed by Hemingway, was called the Scruple. A stamp came in 100 and 200 scruple denominations, and he had plans for the future to actually mint scruple coins. But his currency, for the time being, were just the stamps and then random junk that he had there on the raft with him. His next big step was to acquire diplomatic recognition from the world powers, and then eventually apply to the United Nations. However, before he had a chance to do any of that, just a couple years after the project began, a tropical storm blew through and completely destroyed New Atlantis and everything on it. The dream was dead, but everyone survived. What remains is a story of an eccentric man with a crazy dream. Oh, and the artifacts. To this day, artifacts from New Atlantis have been preserved in the Harry Ransom Center in Austin, Texas. They have the New Atlantis flag hand-sewn by Doris, some postage stamps, and what was left of the beginnings of their typed-out constitution. Sadly, Lester ended his own life with a shotgun in 1982, the same fate as his father and his brother Ernest. Doris lived to be 68 and died in 1997. The Guano Islands Act is still in place and valid, so if you ever want to start a new island nation, and if you want to get further than Lester Hemingway, all you need are some rafts, maybe a few bribes to officials to help secure your nation status, a sturdy way to weather the storms, and a pile of bat guano. The internet says it's true. It's time for the part of the podcast where I call a friend, and today I'm calling Anthony O'Connell. Anthony is the one behind 614 Feast. This is, he's a food blogger, and you can find really amazingly detailed and honest food reviews in the central Ohio area. This is going nuts on Instagram right now. I am seeing it on uh, all over the place. I got an email in my inbox today of one of your articles. It's it's so good to see you again. Nice. Yeah. Thank you, man. It's been a long time. No see. And um, I, I love Columbus food. I love 614 feet and glad to chat with you on your podcast. I'm a big fan of your podcast. Um, I just listened to it for the first time today, but I loved it. It was great. Thanks, man. Which one did you listen to? Uh, Lisa Berry. Oh, was this the, um, oh gosh. It was her third appearance and it was when you guys were talking about uh, brothers that were stolen. Oh, the circus. For the circus. What a sad story yeah. that was. But but there's a lot well, of stories like that um, with the circus where people were just... And I, in the future, I plan to do one where there were a lot of like carnivals and World's Fair and stuff where people were put on display 
as exhibits, like zoo, like human zoo exhibits. Um, and yeah. like indigenous people were, were brought in and oh, just really nasty stuff. But well, thanks for listening to it, man. I appreciate it. And I'm looking yeah. forward to appearing on your podcast here in a couple of weeks. Um, so uh, that's the 614 Feast podcast, which if you are listening in the, you know, in the Columbus, Ohio or the central Ohio area, really great stuff. You just had a, an article come out today about pizza on the south side of Columbus. Because I had read yes. the other day you did one on the north side. Right. Yeah, I'm trying to hit all the geographic regions and and trying to not trigger people because people are very particular about pizza, but also geography. So like if I call something the South and someone feels like it's a different neighborhood or a different designation, it really grinds people's gears and I I can't figure it out. So is it weird to come to, I mean, I know you're originally from this area, right? Right. You you grew up here. I know you because um, you used to be really into the like the stand up comedy scene here. And yep. we worked together on a couple different shows and, and, um, but you went to live in New York. Does that ruin you for pizza? Uh, I mean, not necessarily. I, I think that New York is amazing, but there's just more of it. So like Columbus has amazing pizza, but it's just less and slightly different than New York. Yeah. I mean, it's different style. Yeah. Like, so what would be the best, like New York style pizza in Columbus that you've, that you've had so far? Gosh, man, I always tell people to go to New York to get New York style pizza. But <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, I really like uh, Cardinal Pizza in Westerville. Have you ever had that? Cardinal Pizza? Oh, I don't know that I have. I don't it's know. It's an uptown Westerville. Super cute space, really nice craft beers. And they have Columbus style and New York style pizza. And both are phenomenal. I think the only pizza I've had in Westerville, I've had Massey's, but I've had um, Pasquale's in, in Westerville, which is which is fantastic pizza. So yeah, people love that. And then also I would say East Coast Pizzeria. Okay. East Coast Pizzeria. Not yeah. uh what was there was a East Coast pizza chain at one point when I was a kid. I don't know if that still exists, right? No, I'm East East horrible. of Chicago is what I'm thinking of. East of Chicago yeah. pizza. Horrible pizza. Okay. They were trying to do like, you know, this Chicago style deep dish pizza, but it wasn't really. It was more like I guess what you would call Detroit style pizza. Okay. Well, anyway, welcome to Pizza Talk with Anthony and Michael. Um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about wings after the first question. So for the yes. first question here, uh, we're going to play for a joke. So if you get it wrong, you've got to tell me a joke. It can be like a street joke or whatever. And if you get it right, I'll tell you one. That's basically our stakes here. Here's a question. New Atlantis was the name of a proposed micronation in 1964. Which one of these describes New Atlantis? A, it was a proposal for Hilton Head Island by the city's mayor. B, it was a large yacht when it became disabled off the coast of Cuba. Or C, it was a bunch of rafts tied together by Ernest Hemingway's brother. Well, that that third one sounds so humorous and absurd that I'm tempted to to say that. So, you know what? I'm just going to YOLO. I'm going to go into it. I'm going to go option C. The answer is option C. It was a bunch of rafts tied together by Ernest Hemingway's brother. Uh, Lester. That's so insane. Yeah, Lester yeah. Hemingway. So it was all like bamboo, steel. You know, he had it was had a lot of rocks on it, and he used this very strange and little known act called the Guano Islands Act to claim it half for himself and half for the United States. Basically, back in the 1850s, guano was this like supreme resource, like bat poop, and if you had an island that had bat poop on it, you could claim that island half of it for the u.s and half of it for yourself so he, really? he used that on this raft off the coast of jamaica 
like six miles off the coast of Jamaica. And he said, this is New Atlantis. And they had um, a, a population of six people. Four of them oh were him and his family. And then two other people that worked for him lived there. And uh, basically the whole thing, basically it, it got destroyed in a storm two years after he built it. Uh, he had stamps. He had uh, currency called the scruple, which was basically the stamps were scruples, but I think also like just random things that he could find around. The, he just said, here, this ashtray is a scruple. So yeah, it didn't go anywhere. Turns out you can't so turn a raft into a country. Right. So how big was this place? Like geographically, was yeah. it pretty large? It, no, it was eight feet wide by 30 feet long. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it, was this, it was the size of like a rail car. Wow. <laughs> it was it was very small. Um, That's for, kind of fun. I, I, with with no regulations, no restrictions, he was probably just out there having himself a time. I think that was his whole point. I think, you know, he was a very eccentric guy and he was like, what, how much more freedom can you get than live on a raft in the ocean, call it, you know, your own country. And he, he had plans for it to become like an oceanic research station, both for marine uh, biology and, and, and oceanography. Um, and was trying to get it recognized by the U.S. as such, but never. It was never recognized by anyone. The closest he got to recognition was he wrote Lyndon Johnson a letter and included uh -huh. one of his stamps. And when Lyndon Johnson wrote back, addressed him as the, I think, like something like the acting president of, <laughs> like, dear acting president. I think that's the closest that he got as being, you know, being a legitimate nation. They did have a vote for president. The, the six okay. people, you know, or the five people, I should say, voted for him to be president. So interesting. You know. I feel like, you know, that's kind of unfair. He built it and uh, he's also their father and husband. So, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, oh, it's kind of kind of cheating. So I owe you a joke. What's the most honest way to earn a living as a seamstress? Uh, I don't know. The Ernest Hemingway. Oh, boy. Yeah. And that's Hemingway. I'm not going to give you a laugh, but I'll give you a clever. Yeah, the clever. Well, they're. Two puns in one in one name. So there you yeah. go. Uh, <laughs> That's so, hard to do. That's hard to pull off. Yeah. I mean, you're you having done stand up, especially having done stand up in New York City, your your bear your your barometric or your barometer for comedy is probably a little higher than mine. Well, it, it used to be. I feel like I'm so out of touch. Like uh ever since I stopped doing stand up, like I just pretty much know like the the more mainstream people. Like yeah. I used to know all the up and comers, all the people like on every level of the circuit. But now I'm kind of out of touch with comedy. Is it nice to be out of touch with comedy? Because comedy can be a little bit of a, a catty community, right? Like it can be a little bit, I don't know, uh, what would be the word? Juvenile? <laughs> I don't know. Like, <laughs> Cutthroat? Cut competitive? Cutthroat, yeah. But it's not even like, it's a bunch of people that want to be the thing and are, it's a lot of complaining I see. Uh, Columbus has a, a lot of great comics, but um I belong to a lot of the comedian like Facebook groups and locally, and it's just like magicians. I mean, there's just a lot of a lot of complaining and and people stealing this and that and and don't put this person on shows because of this and that and um. Some All of the that, politics can be great. Yeah, and some of that can be legit. Like you know, obviously, if someone's like you know, and someone who's committed <clears throat> assaults or abuses or something like that, you don't want to put them on shows. But man, it's. I can see how like just dropping out of that community could be so refreshing and just you're, you're really forging your own path right now. Yeah, thank you. And it's it's interesting you should mention this because I actually had a foodie reach out to me recently and she was telling me how she feels like the food scene is so competitive <laughs> and it's so toxic and all this. And I, told her, I was like, 
I was like, I'm sorry that you're going through that, but honestly, I just focus only on myself. Like, I know that sounds selfish, but I just only focus on what I do. And then if I can help out others, I do. But like, if someone's crushing it and doing it way better than me, I don't worry about that. I just only focus on improving myself. Yeah. There's a meme that's been going around that says like, you know, competition happens at the bottom and the people at the top are collaborating. And oh, yeah. I, I like that a lot. But also there's the, the quote that comparison is the thief of joy. And I mm-hmm. have found that to be so true. And mostly, you know, it happens with social media because that's how we become exposed to what a lot of our competitors or other, you know, peers are doing. And when I get on there and I'm like, I look at what shows other people are doing, I'm like, I should be on that show. And it could be a show that pays nothing that I would never want to do. But but the fact that someone else is doing it, I I look at it and I'm like, oh, my God, that should be me. And it shouldn't be. It's just the fact that it, it looks really good on the Internet. I get that instinct, man. And like, I, I feel that way. Like if I don't get invited to like a, a grand opening or something, yeah. I'll feel annoyed about it for a minute or two. But then I'm like, you know what? I guess I'm not right for them or my niche isn't what they want. Or maybe they don't even know who I am. So I just kind of just try to try my best to just, you know, put my horse blinders on and sure. just, you know, grind it out. Yeah, absolutely. And if your product is a good product, you don't ever have to worry about anything. So, uh, all right, let's move on to question two. For this next question, we're going to play for a story about something embarrassing that's happened to you or that you've been a part of. So if you get it wrong, you'll have to share that. If you get it right, I'll share one of mine. The world's excuse excuse me, the world's fourth largest island is filled with plant and animal life that's 80% unique to that island. Which one of these is it? So again, this is the fourth largest island in the world and it's filled with 80% unique plant and animal life. Is it A Madagascar, B Sri Lanka, or C Galapagos? Oh my gosh, dude! I have <laughs> no idea. Why would you? This is this is a weird one. <laughs> I didn't even know. Like, I just never even thought about the uniqueness of of flora and plant life and what. <laughs> yeah. Um. Just for fun, I'm gonna go with option B. The answer is A. Madagascar. Believe it or not, oh, no. uh, Madagascar. Yeah, eighty percent unique to the island. Uh, this is the fourth largest island. Now, Galapagos is a a series of islands. There's like six islands. They're all very small. Sri Lanka is a big island, um, but not as big as Madagascar. Madagascar is huge, really, you know, um, amazing place when you, when you look at the plant and animal life. So, uh, do you have like any sort of story that's embarrassing that you can share? Yeah. Uh, I, I was trying to think of something embarrassing and I feel like I have anxiety. So a lot of times I'm naturally kind of embarrassed, like that incredible Hulk mean like the secret is I'm always embarrassed. Yeah, um, right. but, um, so I was trying to think, and I, I I remember one time when I was in college, it was I was go I went to Ohio State and I was going to park and it was a four morning class and I had my orange juice bottle and I see this beautiful girl walking on the sidewalk and I'm stuck at a red light and she kind of catches me staring at her. So I try to play it cool and for some reason I'm like, if I shake up my orange juice, that'll be like a casual thing, like no creep you know, shakes their orange juice. So I go to shake my orange juice and the lid was off. So I get splashed in the face with orange juice. I'm covered in orange juice. My face is red from embarrassment. And uh, the the pretty girl saw me soaked in juice. Oh no. Did she react at all? She laughed. She definitely chuckled and then kept it moving. Oh no. But, uh... <laughs> oh, I love it. I, I love secondhand embarrassment. Um, I don't know why that's a sick part of me, I guess. Um, but I just the thing I love about that story is the introspection of deciding that shaking the juice is a nice and natural habit, like a natural movement to have that I'm not paying attention to you because I'm busy shaking my juice. So this is totally cash. 
Um, yeah, dude, I'm a robot, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Computing <laughs> movements for woman. <laughs> error, error. Four oh four not found. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, man. Question three. For this question, we're playing for a sticker. This is always our our um. Oh, I lost that camera. Uh, this is always our our third uh question prize. So it's a it's a three inch square sticker. Says the internet says it's true, and it's sticky on the back, so you could put it on light poles. For this question, here it is. The most populated non-continent island has 148 million people. Which one of these is it? So again, this has a, a stipulation that it's not a continent. So it's an island. The most populated island that is not a continent has 148 million people. Is it Java in Indonesia, Honshu in Japan, or Great Britain? Huh. Well, first things first, I just want to say unrelated when people call coffee Java, it really drives me nuts. I hate it with <laughs> of a thousand suns. Don't call coffee Java. I know it's kind of outdated, so people aren't saying it that much anymore. But in the 90s, it was a real problem. <laughs> why Why is but, it? Why, how did that begin? I, wonder, I don't know. Like, don't you remember, like, in the early 2000s, there was, yeah. like, Java cafes and all oh, that kind of stuff? absolutely. Yeah, Java. Absolutely. Ugh. You don't hear it called yeah, Java you, much anymore. Like, hot cup of Java. Yeah, isn't that cringe? Or Doesn't that Joe? make you What about Joe? Are you okay with it being called Joe? Cup of Joe, I'm actually okay with. Um, I feel like that's kind of classic and iconic. I don't really yeah. know why it's called a Cup of Joe, but maybe that could be a fun Internet Says It's True episode. That would be, yeah. Different names. We did, origins. We did an episode about the origins of sub sandwiches and, and all the different things they call them in different parts of the country. The most interesting Ooh. one was in New England. They call it a Spucky. Spucky, okay. Yeah, and it's a shortened Italian word, Spucadella. Ooh. Uh, so, yeah. Spucadella. Yeah, Spucadella. Yeah. So, okay. Sorry. Back to the question. Uh, largest or no, sorry, not largest, most populated non-continent island, 148 million people. Is it Java in Indonesia, Honshu in Japan or Great Britain? I would say Great Britain. Great Britain. The answer, Java. Sorry to tell you, not the coffee, but Java in Indonesia. The reason for that is because of Jakarta. Jakarta is in Java. It's the world's most populous island. Honshu is the next, I believe, the next most populous. But, um, you know, that's Honshu is sort of like the name for all of the island of Japan, with the exception of that, like the outlying. Like it doesn't count for like Okinawa, all the little the little islands around it. But Honshu, I think, is the name of that the Japanese island. But Indonesia, I Java is like the second island down, um, and it's a huge island, but it's hugely populated. Would not be so if not for for Jakarta. So there you go. Cool, fun little fun thing. Fact. But you don't get a sticker um, unless, uh, you know, you need one for me doing your podcast, in which case I'll send you one. So This is devastating. I'll never recover. I know. I know. You're going to have to find something else three inches square and sticky to put on light poles. Question yes. four. The world's smallest island nation has a landmass of only eight and a half square miles. This is an actual, this is a country, an island nation, eight and a half square miles. It sits in the Pacific Ocean. Which one of these is it? Is it A, San Marino, B, Nauru, or C, Malta? Gosh, I literally have no idea, so I'm just going to go with C, Malta. The answer, B, Nauru. Uh, San Marino is landlocked. It's in, in Italy, not an island at all. Malta in the Mediterranean, Nauru in the Pacific is the world's smallest island nation. Only eight and a half square miles. That's tiny. Um, 
It has a population of 11,000 people. It's known for, or it used to be known for its prosperous phosphate mining. This was early 20th century. It used to be called Pleasant Island and became independent from Australia in 1968. It has no capital city, which I found interesting. I guess the whole place is the capital city. So that's interesting. I, I, I wonder how frequently people run the loop. Like, I have to imagine you would just run back and forth. Like, that'd be a fun thing. Like, I ran the whole freaking country. Like, that'd yeah. be cool to do. There's this little island that I've, that I've done shows in. Um, I've been there, I think, four times now. It's called Diego Garcia, and it's in the middle of the Indian Ocean. It's just a military base. And it's about the same size, but it's an atoll. So it's like, um, you know, it goes in a circle. And I believe it's 37 miles if you go all the way around the outside of it. And they do that regularly on like they run it and they do biking all the way around the island. And it's nice. beautiful because there are times when you can see both the lagoon in the middle and the Indian Ocean on the outside while you're while you're going down this road. It's in- incredible. It's the most beautiful place I've ever been, but it's also the most remote place I've ever been. So it's super scary um, to be there because you yeah. can't there's sharks in the water everywhere. You can't swim in the in the water and you just know that you're 2000 miles from anything. In every direction. It's it's bizarre. So, yeah, you got to be built different. Like people that live like way up there, like in Alaska or Canada or something oh, yeah. like to just so remote like that freaks me out, dude. Yeah, absolutely. Like the homesteaders. I've mm-hmm. watched some of those shows. and I think a lot of those shows are they've come out, you know, that they're fake. But um, to, just to know, like those folks, if they don't shoot that moose on that by that last day of hunting season or whatever it is before yeah. the giant snow comes in. They're going to die. And then mm-hmm. they shoot the moose and then they've got to bring it 10 miles back to their cabin on a on a little raft and everything else. Nuts. It's nuts. Right. I could never live in New Atlantis out in the middle of, <laughs> of the ocean outside of Jamaica. I'm not. Yeah, their pizza that. selection is horrible to do a little call back to the beginning. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a lot of bat poop uh, on the pizza as a topping, which isn't advised. You know what I just realized? We did question four and I didn't put any stakes on it. So um, for for question four, since you got it wrong, since there were no stakes, you've got to do a steak review on one of your upcoming uh, episodes. You know, Columbus steak. Yeah. I don't know where you get the good steak in Columbus. I feel like steak is a little bit. um, It's it's a little bit gate kept by price, right? Like good steak. You can't you, you like pizza is not. There's there's not a a barrier for entry. Wings there's not a barrier for it. But for steak, if you want a good steak, you're gonna have to shell out like forty bucks. Yeah, pretty much. And I feel like even if you go to like the grocery store or if you got the money to go to a butcher, even cooking yourself is still expensive. It's it's still it's a very sought after piece of meat. It's delightful, but it is definitely expensive. And, sure. and I feel like you can watch as many Gordon Ramsay videos as you want. You're never gonna cook a steak as good as some of these steakhouses that do it all day long every day. Yeah, totally. I think that practice makes perfect. And I think probably my favorite steak shop, I, you didn't ask, but I'll just go ahead and tell you. Yeah. I would say probably old school. I'd say probably like the top. I'm a big fan of the top. You ever have that? I've never been. No, I've lived in Columbus for 20 years. I've never been. Um, Dude, it's like old school madman vibes. Like I feel like you need like a, a, a whiskey Manhattan and a steak mid rare. Oh, You're going to have yourself it. a great. Where Where is the top? I think Bexley-ish or like East Side kind of. Oh, like, I have been to the top. I have. Wait. No, that was the, there was something else in back that I went to. The, Am I saying the wrong word? No, the top is right. I know I've heard of it. There's another thing called like the monk or something like that. It was in Bexley that we went to and I'm getting those two confused, but, um, gotcha. yeah, I, but you know what? You're talking to a guy who, um, I have an unusual love for Ponderosa Steakhouse 
So what I'm saying okay. is my target is, is you know, my, my bar is not all that high. Dude, let's go to Ponderosa. Let's make some sweet, sweet content. Uh, Columbus oh, Underground recently went, and I think we should go. <laughs> let's please do, because every year on my birthday, my wife asks me what I want to do. And my answer is I want to go to Ponderosa on South High Street. And the last two years, she's been such a trooper, and she's gone with me, and she's eaten right. there, and she hates it, but she, she'll do it for me. That's so silly and so fun. I love that. Well, you know how like a lot of, especially in my age, like a lot of my food loves are, are uh, nostalgia. And mm-hmm. that's why that's the only reason I love Ponderosa is because I used to go all the time with my grandparents as a kid to Ponderosa. And, and there is a very specific French dressing. They're creamy French dressing that is unlike anything you can get anywhere else. I've written them emails about this. Never heard back. Um, of course not. The Ponderosa, well, there are only 17 locations in the world now. So uh, in the, I should say in the country, because that's the only place Ponderosa is. Um, but yeah, that, that creamy French dressing, if I could duplicate that or replicate that at home, I would never have to go to Ponderosa anymore. Yeah, Look, but you, you'd miss the vibes and ambiance, dude. You'd miss that sweet, sweet service. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's hard to get in there on like a Sunday afternoon. But, uh-huh. you know, last time we went, and this was, again, this was probably like back in January when I when I had my birthday, uh, we went outside and the gas station across the, the, the street on High Street was pumping this this really loud opera music. Mm-hmm. And Allie's like, what is, why are they doing that? And I bet, I said, I bet that's to keep people from hanging out. And then it is. there was a yeah, there was an article written about it like that same week about how this gas station on South High Street plays opera music really loud to keep, you know, like the homeless population from hanging out outside their store and begging. So yeah. apparently it works. I mean, because I, I was talking with the guy at UDF one time at UDF in Reynoldsburg. Yeah. Because I was like, what's up with this classical music? It's so strange. And he said that it, it's very effective at keeping solicitors or hanging routers, whatever you call yeah, them yeah. To, out of there kind of crappy but also like i get it if you're a business owner and you don't want your your clientele to be chased away i can see that but also like i hate the you know that like homeless proof architecture they do where they put the stuff on the benches so that you can't lay across them it just drives me nuts yeah it's Um, so like unnecessarily cruel it is yeah there's no there's no reason to i mean there's there's folks that are you're not going to keep this person from sleeping on the street by doing this it's just like saying you can do it just don't do it here and I don't know. It's it's hard. I can see it from both sides because, you know, if it's a business and you don't want to chase away your clientele. But again, these are businesses that usually close at 6 p.m. anyway. So anyhow, yeah, I mean, well, it's way beyond my pay grade and I'm not smart <laughs> enough to solve it. But I do agree with everything that you said. <laughs> well, let's that's good because um, you've only gotten one question right. So yeah. um, <laughs> but but question five is the final question and it's for all the marbles. So if you get this one right. It erases all of your wrong answers and you're welcome back on the podcast anytime. But if you get it wrong, Anthony, you're banned for life. Here is the question. Fair. <laughs> um, it seems appropriate for this episode to do like a desert island list. So and, and I know you love films. So if mm-hmm. you were stranded on a desert island and you could have three films to watch, what would they be? Oh, man, that's so tough. I, I do love movies. Um, I My instinct, whenever I hear like any kind of like forever type question, like an island question, I always think of like the American The Office um mm-hmm. but i'll stick within the the rules of the game i don't want to sure. get it wrong to be banned so i would say uh happy gilmore okay adam sandler's happy gilmore and then i would say uh what is it goodfellas oh yeah goodfellas is amazing and then this one is kind of a curveball but i think it's a really important powerful movie that could change every couple of months or even every couple of years but uh Cineduct, new york i'm probably pronouncing it wrong but Ooh, say it again 
Synaduk, uh, New York. It's um, it's a very absurd film and it's very dark and sad. And it has to do with like uh, this guy. Basically, he makes up a, a fake New York because he's so depressed and he basically books his whole life. It stars Philip Seymour Hoffman. 100% recommend it. Wow. I'll check it out. And it kind of fits in with the theme of this of this show a little bit, too. That's that's a good answer. Uh, all three are, are fantastic. Yeah. And I really love that you put in Goodfellas because I was just thinking about Goodfellas. I was listening to your podcast and you do a thing where you ask your guests for a, a favorite food moment um, mm-hmm. from from TV or, or, or screen. And I was thinking, like, how would I answer that? And my obvious answer is is always going to go back to pizza because I love pizza. And I thought of like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and how they, you know, really used pizza as like a character sort of on mm-hmm. that on that franchise. But another close second was Goodfellas when they're making the the Italian meal in the prison. When a bunch oh, of yeah, guys that's get, oh god, a bunch of the guys get locked up and they're making and they're not sacrificing a single thing. They're making it the same way they would make outside, <laughs> and it just takes them a little bit more time. But you know, uh-huh. slicing the garlic with a razor blade and all the such a great scene um and and ali she called me out the other day because it was on tv and she was like you always stop when this movie's on and watch it and i've seen it so many times i just love it i love the that style of like a narrated story like that um Mm -hmm. it's just so much fun to watch it's it's my favorite gangster movie i love it better than like godfather godfather 2 so Thank you so much. I'm glad this is a safe space for that because normally everyone freaks out when I don't say Godfather and I like Godfather, yeah. but I think, I, I don't know, maybe just because I'm, I'm a millennial, I kind of missed the boat to like love the Godfather. Same. Um, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm the, what they call the Xennial. I'm like the, you know, the, the young uh, Gen X old millennial kind of in between there was, I grew up in the eighties uh, and nineties and, and I never really grew up with Godfather, but having seen it, I still feel that Goodfellas is a better representation of that trope, like that lifestyle. The 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 idea of like the New York mafia is so well represented by those characters and that relationship. So unless we talk like if you talk about um oh god, now the um <laughs> the HBO series uh uh, about uh, Empire? <laughs> what is it? No. Is it Boardwalk Empire? No, the New York Mafia. Succession. <laughs> <laughs> Sopranos. What? Sopranos. My God, why did why couldn't I think of the Sopranos? I think the Sopranos does a fantastic job of telling that story as well. Uh, oh, dude, I love Sopranos. Tony Soprano, all time legend, great character. It's such a good character, and and the, the, that's up there on like with The Office on a series that I've watched start to finish probably five times. You know, where I, The Wire, The the, the Sopranos, Breaking Bad, and The Office. Oh, I've yeah. probably, The Office is an outlier in that list, I understand. But still, uh, you know, things I could just watch over and over and over. So, Dude, The Office is comfort food, man. And like, if I ever can't think of something to watch or if I'm just having a really bad day, I'll just throw on The Office and zone out. It, it is. Really- yeah, if I just want to be in a good mood and I'll sit and like, I'll play my Switch and I'll watch The Office. Um, and, you know, another thing is that Pizza is a heavy part of all of these franchises. So I don't know about The Wire. I don't remember pizza in The Wire. I'm sure it was. But obviously, you know, in The Office, we have the the age-old uh, debate between Al- Alfredo's Pizza Kitchen and, and Pizza by Alfredo, or P- Alfredo's Pizza Cafe, excuse me, which I have <laughs> eaten in Scranton, by the way. Um, That's so fun. <laughs> it, it exists. And uh, in Breaking Bad, the pizza on the roof is iconic. Oh, yeah, totally. So, 
man, I need to go have some. Actually, tonight is Sloppy Joe's night here at home. So, Um, dude, thank you so much for coming on the show. Go check out 614 Feast on your favorite social media platform. Um, Anthony is constantly giving good and honest reviews. It's not all, you know, um, it's not all bright bright clouds or bright, what do you call it sunshine rainbows and sunshine rainbows I and sunshine it's it's the real stuff and occasionally you'll hear a you know an honest review that's that's not always positive which you know lets you know that this is uh he's not being paid to do these things these are these are an honest opinion from someone who loves food so uh we really do appreciate you coming on the show again anthony o'connell from 614 feast Thank you so much, Michael. I had a blast doing the podcast and hope your listeners had a good time listening to me. And uh, thank you so much. That's all for this week. Thank you so much to Anthony O'Connell for being my guest. And thanks to you for listening. Here's a lost resident of Atlanta. Thank you for listening to The Internet Says It's True. To listen to episodes ad-free and a week early, support us on Patreon. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash Michael Kent. If you learned something just now that you didn't already know, go to the Apple Podcast app and leave us a review with five stars and a few words. That helps us a ton, because that's how the algorithm works. I don't know what an algorithm is, but just do it! See you next week for a brand new episode of The Internet Says It's True! The Internet Says It's True would like to thank the Patreon subscribers whose monthly contributions help to make this show possible. Sean Brown, Joshua Endress, Dallas Ray, Bryce Swanson, Eugene Anderson, Jim and Joanne Martin, Mitch and Andrew Joseph Kemplin, and the show's official emperor, Kick Track. The show is written and produced by me, Michael Kent. The theme song is by Finite Music Forge, and all audio clips in this episode are used for education and commentary and used under Fair Use Title 17 USC Section 107. You can listen to past episodes by searching for The Internet Says It's True wherever you get your podcasts, and you can see bonus content at patreon.com slash Kent.